there and welcome to the podcast, Biblical Question. We are excited that you've taken time out of your day to download our podcast and to listen to us. We know there are many other options for you to, to download and listen to, and so we are honored and blessed that you have chosen us. Please hit that like button if you're new to us. Make sure to follow us. You can find out more information about us at our webpage at Biblical Question, all lowercase, all one word. And there you can find a statement of faith. Uh, there's a prayer request page. In fact, on that, we're going to start posting a country each week that we all can pray for. And we will also be posting that uh, country on mewe.com. Facebook has put us in jail uh, several times because they don't like what we post. And so there is a form of persecution that is going on in America. And so if people don't believe that, just look at Facebook as an example. If they do not agree with you, um, there is a socialism, communism, anti-Christian, whatever. Uh, If they don't agree with you, no matter what what you think, they block you, they shut you down for a while and tell you you're a bad boy or whatever. And so MeWe is promising not to do that. I have no idea who owns MeWe, where it's at from, and so on. Uh, And so we're also there on LinkedIn. We do have a Twitter account. We uh, don't post a whole lot there, but we do have one. And so please follow us on social media. Tell your friends and your family about us. if you, be, if you benefit from this, you enjoy it. Also, uh, if you have a Bible question or a prayer request, there is a contact us uh, link there. You can do that through our, our webpage as well. And please be sure to put in the subject line a prayer request or Bible question, something to grab our attention because we are just overloaded with spam. And so that will help us find you a lot easier and that we will not accidentally overlook you. And if you have a prayer request or a Bible question and you want to know if we've received it, you can do that by going to our webpage. Uh, The questions uh, are on a podcast index. We put that on there so that you know what questions we have received that we're working on and, and have already answered as well. And there is a prayer request page there. Uh, that you can um, submit a prayer request. Most of those are from uh, outside the U.S. There's a few that are not. But, and I realize that those that change dramatically from week to week or even day to day. But please, somebody has really asked for prayers. And if you're a prayer warrior, please go to the webpage and pray for those folks. Make a note of them. And... Um, Occasionally we we do get asked to take one down or please say, hey, thank you, that prayer was answered. So we try to honor that as well. And today we're going to do something a little different. Uh, The podcast might be a little longer than normal. And so I I hope that you'll be uh, bear with me as we go through this. Like I said, this is somewhat of a request as well. And we're going to do an overview of the gospel according to Matthew. An overview of the gospel according to Matthew. So please have a Bible uh, by or close by that you can open and follow along. We will be reading some uh, verses from Matthew, but mainly just referring to them. And so uh, 
I, I would encourage anybody, if you don't have a Bible, you can go to their webpage and click on the Bible uh, Daily Verse. That will take you to a webpage where you can read the Bible for free. You can listen to it for free. There's all kinds of versions, and there are multiple languages there available, too. So if English is not your first language, uh, you can certainly uh, find Bibles there in other languages. And they do not support us. Uh, they don't probably don't even know we exist. And we do not support them. It's just something that's already out there. And we're trying to make good use of that. So, uh, again, uh, please uh, follow along always with the Bible. Never trust anybody who tells you, well, it's not in the Bible God told me. That's, that's a red light flashing, sirens are going off. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of very weary of those kind of people. And so, the gospel, according to Matthew, was, was viewed as the most important gospel by uh, the early church fathers. And is the gospel that is most frequently uh, quoted by the writers of the first three centuries of the church. The gospel, according to Matthew, was directly, primarily to Jewish people. It contains 130 different references to the Old Testament. The book of Matthew shows Jesus truly is the Messiah or the Messianic King of that Old Testament prophecy. Because we have to understand the Jewish people uh, were looking, uh, they still are looking for a, the Messiah, uh, even though he's already arrived and has fulfilled his prophecy about him, uh, except his second return. But uh, there are several unique features about the Gospel according to Matthew. It has 1,068 verses, contains four, 644 words of Jesus, and if you have a red letter Bible edition, with that you will find that most of the pages in the book of Matthew are red because that is what Matthew has done, is quoted a lot of Jesus and what he had to say. Three-fifths of this gospel is, again, it is a report of Christ's sayings and contains 35 parables. The gospel of Matthew also emphasizes uh, two things. It emphasizes uh, Jesus' teaching about future and end times, and as well as his ethical teachings. Matthew's Gospel records 20 of Jesus' miracles, three of which are only found in the Gospel according to Matthew. That would be uh, the story of two blind men who are healed in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 27 through 33 and a healing of a man possessed by a devil or a demon, depending on your version, uh, in chapter 17, uh, verses 24 through 27. And then also talks and teaches about the miracle of money in the mouth of the fish. And that would be when Jesus was needing to pay a tax, um, and he didn't have any money, and he tells uh, Peter to go, and get that fish, go catch a fish, and, and of course the first fish he catches has the money for the tax in it. And Matthew being a tax collector, that would have uh, caught his attention in how 
God would take care of you and help you pay your taxes. Again, this is the interesting thing about Matthew's Gospel account. While it affirms Old Testament prophecy of Jesus as Israel's promised king, it also presents him as a servant. Matthew was concerned that his readers, that he wanted them to be able to acknowledge Jesus as the promised Messiah. Remember uh, that target audience would be of Israel. It would be of the Jewish people. And this is why chapter 1 provides the genealogy and the human ancestry of Jesus uh, back to Abraham through David, whose offspring was promised an eternal throne. And the purpose of this genealogy in chapter 1 was to show the details of Jesus' birth was in complete uh, compliance with the Old Testament prophecies. They went hand in hand. Chapter 2 records the birth of Jesus. And kind of interesting here, though, a side note here, is Matthew skips over uh, Jesus' childhood. From the birth story, Jesus, uh, excuse me, Matthew moves directly into Jesus' ministry. Chapter 3 uh, records the preaching of, of John the Baptist. Uh, who announced the appearing of the Messiah. That was the role of John the Baptist, was to prepare the way. He also will preach about repentance and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Also in chapter 3, the story of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, after which heaven... uh, open up unto him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and a voice from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased that would be Matthew chapter 3 verse 17 Matthew chapter 4 uh, tells us of the preparation of Jesus starts by saying that Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil And this is why it's so important that we constantly be in prayer. As Jesus taught, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That would be chapter 6, verse 13. So then after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, most of us uh, can't make it 40 minutes without going and getting a Coke or a cup of coffee. But he goes 40 days without eating. It doesn't say he doesn't drink. It just says that he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And Jesus will overcome his temptations by the devil, which shows us that Jesus was completely sinless, that temptation itself is not a sin. It's going through with that temptation that becomes sinful. It shows also that Jesus was completely committed to the mission at hand completely. I think it's important again to also understand that these temptations were very real to the flesh. Uh, While Jesus is God, he was also in the flesh. Therefore, these temptations were very real. And I know there's a lot of people that teach that God can never be tempted and Jesus is God. Yes, he's God. That's true. God cannot be tempted. 
But here's the catch. He's in the flesh. And the devil is not an idiot. Uh, he's a very coy, savvy, a foe, enemy. He is not your friend. He is not the friend of God. Okay? He would not have wasted his time uh, with Jesus over this. He, here we are, 40 days of fasting. How many of us are hungry after a hard day's work and want nothing more than a, a meal and sit down and relax and enjoy it? I think we need to keep that in mind. So when he's tempted uh, turning these stones into bread, uh, that would have been a very real temptation. Chapter 4 closes with the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, where it records him traveling all about Nazareth, Capernaum, and Galilee, and teaching and preaching the gospel message. Jesus is telling everyone who will listen to, to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus will begin healing all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. And all this preaching, this teaching, all this healing would have and did create a whole lot of excitement. So much so that the gospel tells us that great multitudes start to follow him. Chapter 5, 6, and 7 uh, it's probably the most known part of Matthew, other than perhaps the crucifixion and, and uh, the resurrection. Chapter 5, 6, and 7 is, is known what we call the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, say this, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in this same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We must always remember God's ways are, are not the ways of the world. As Christians, we must faithfully commit ourselves to be obedient and to follow the Lord. Our way will certainly be contrary to what the world teaches. It will always be in conflict. The world has its own agenda. It wants to serve uh, themselves. They want to be their own God. Uh, they, some of them openly admit they are satanic type worshipers and followers and so anytime we stand up for what is right what is good what is scriptural we're going to receive some rebuke of some form or another sometimes more dramatic in other places in the world than others but we will i, I don't care who you are where you live what skin color you are uh, if you're born male or female, if you're living for Christ and you're teaching uh, His Word, you're doing your best to live His Word, show the example of a Christian life, believe me, people will notice and they will tease you about it. They will talk about you behind your back, whatever. Some places in the world uh, could get you killed. So, again, we must remember that 
again, that God's ways are not always the ways of the world. Um, here's a couple examples. One would be the stand on marriage is between one man and one woman. That is not what the world wants to talk about. In fact, if you would say that publicly, you would be criticized pretty quickly. Lots of employers in the United States are, are trying to inject uh, their sensitivity type training, uh, sometimes it's called harassment training, whatever, and they make a point that we're not supposed to harass and tease people. Uh, and they'll name a whole list of, of those things, uh, skin colors to religions, but they never mention Christianity. Okay, and so uh, I think that's very interesting. In fact, uh, one time I had sit through a class with an employer and they said that you could help being a Christian, but you could not help being a Muslim. And I still scratched my head over that statement because the guy who was teaching it could not explain the statement. He's just reading a script that he was programmed to, to say and, and went on. Here's another example as uh, it's known as the wealth and health gospel. And just because you're poor uh, financially, just because you're poor uh, with your health, does not mean that you're being punished for your lack of faith in Christ. It does not mean that. I know there's a famous book it's called You Can Have Your Best Life Now, and that's kind of what that book is all about. Well, I'll be honest about it. I want my best life for all eternity with Christ. Does that mean uh, the apostles, did they have troubles? Oh boy. I mean, they were flogged, they were persecuted, they were martyred. And so, uh, Joel Osteen, I guess, missed that part of the Bible. And so, you will always have tribulation in this world. I mean, that's Jesus saying that. If you believe in Christ, you're going to have issues from time to time. Some of the most devout Christians that I know and have been around are in third world nations. Honestly, if we're not enduring, again, some form of persecution, we're probably not displaying uh, that we are a true follower of Jesus. There, again, there are so many forms of persecution. You've heard me talk about it in other podcasts. Uh, most of typically think of those people who are living in the Middle East or in communist nations that Christianity is squashed, um, persecuted. Uh, you can lose your life, your home, your family. You know, some places you're put in jail, uh, other places you're executed. So, but remember too, simple verbal mocking of your beliefs in Christ in the Bible is a form of persecution. Even in the USA here, in the United States, we have persecution in some form or another. And I, I can't help but wonder if this will not continue to increase from this time as we go forward unless Christians start standing up, going to the polls, uh, meeting with those who represent them, and demanding their equal rights under the law. And so, if we don't stand up for those rights, they will disappear. And so, I think that is an obligation that God has given us. We are blessed in this country to be able to have what we have had. And we need to get back to uh, those Christian core values.
The Sermon on the Mount is one of the misunderstood messages, I think, that Jesus ever preached. Some say it is God's plan of salvation, and if we're ever to have hope to go to heaven, we must obey all these rules. We should obey all of God's rules, not just the Sermon on the Mount. Others would say it is a law for world peace and begs the nations of the world to accept it. Well, I wish the world nations and the leaders, I wish they all would accept the gospel and truly obey and believe in it. Uh, that's probably not going to happen. It's never happened uh, any time in the history of church. And so, again, others teach that this sermon does not not apply to us at all today. And I would disagree with that. And I think all of the Bible has an application for us today. It might have been written to the Jewish people in the first century, but there is an application even for us today to live by. I think that is true with all the books of the Bible. They were all written to uh, a certain group of people, whether they were churches and uh, that Paul the Apostle planted, or if it was a letter uh, written or a gospel message written to Jewish folks. It, it doesn't matter. The application is there and how we should be living our life. The key verse to the Sermon on the Mountain, uh, on the Mount, excuse me, foremost is this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I say to you, unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they had an artificial external righteousness based on law. And if we really stop and think about it, we have the same problem in the church today. Many have this artificial righteousness displayed on Sunday morning. Uh, they believe that their works, uh, they are saved because others could not have been saved. There is no way for others to be saved. They have not done the works that I have done. Works will not save you. Uh, some would say, well, I was baptized or I was immersed, and now I am saved. And again, uh, baptism is part of the Christian walk. It is. It is a command to be, to be immersed. That alone does not save you. I hate to tell people that, but that's that's just the plain fact. You can be you can say a prayer one time in your life, and think that you're saved. Prayer's good, baptism's good, doing good works—they're all good things. We we should be all doing those things. But what saves you at the end of the day is the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Okay, so that's how we gain our faith. That's how we become deeper understanding of who God is. And nobody died except Jesus. Nobody else. I mean, a, a lawbreaker cannot save another lawbreaker. It is just that simple. Jesus died. It's his blood that was shed to cover our sin. The righteousness of Jesus is a true and vital righteousness that we need to, to learn and understand. And that begins within our hearts. Uh, when Jesus saw the crowds, he goes up on the mountain here, and 
And he sat down, and his disciples come to him, and he opened his mouth, and he begins to teach them, saying, Again, this sermon, that's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 1 and 2. Uh, the sermon takes place on, the, on a mountain in Galilee. We actually really do not know where this mountain was. Uh, my best guess, it would be Jesus' hometown area, somewhere around Capernaum. But that is only a guess. I have no way of proving that. That area would be what we now today call Palestine. Uh, Jesus, I think about this. I know this is going to poke the hole in somebody's balloon. But Jesus had no mega church building like we see all over today. In fact, most of them are in this area are empty uh, since covid they kind of closed their doors and they couldn't make the payments and now uh, they're empty. Now, not all of them, uh, but there's a few. And so he had no fancy office uh, to do sermon preparations, hoping that somebody would come by the office and want to learn about the gospel. Now, that's not going to happen. I, I was in an office, forced to be in an office many times when I was doing pulpit work. Uh, there's a place for the office, there is no doubt. Oh, but lost people are not in the office. They're not gonna. They're not gonna come to the office. You're gonna have to go find them. And so, that's kind of a pet peeve. In the gospel accounts, we we do find Jesus teaching and preaching and healing. Again, it's not in the church building. Very rarely does he do anything in the temple. He does a little bit. He does teach in the temple, and he. I know that he does do some healing, in the temple. 98% of it is out among the people in the crowds. Again, so many preachers today, they sit in the office waiting for lost people to come. And again, I hate to break the news to you, they're not coming to the office. You're going to have to go find them. Uh, they might come by and want some free food or help you pay a bill, but once you do that, they're gone, and, and you never see them again. And so... Unlike the struggles that Jesus went through, uh, Jesus was out among the people. Jesus knew what it was like to have to work uh, by trade. And he more likely was a carpenter prior to his ministry, following in his father's footsteps. That would have been the traditional thing that he would have done, or worked on a fishing boat, that type of thing. And so... Preachers who sit in the office 24-7, never go to people's homes, they don't, never worked a job outside of the church, uh, they really truly believe, they know what's going on in the world around them. They really know what the workplace is like, and that's just not really completely true. Uh, and I'm going to use me as an example. For many years, I, I did pulpit work. I was in the church building a lot. I was out visiting hospitals and knocking on doors and whatnot. And now that I'm just doing the podcast after 20 years of really not being in the workforce uh, full-time, I did some part-time jobs and whatnot. But now that I'm, I'm back in the factories and, and working the world has really changed. I'll be flat honest with you. It's much more corrupt. Uh, the language is far more uh, regular. That is very foul. The 
it's it's just not the world that I uh, once thought it was. And so, as a Christian, we have a hard time uh, trying to separate ourselves from that. I can see why people really struggled. I over the years I thought, well, how hard is this to understand? You are to be the light of the world. You're to be the salt of the earth, and so on. I know life, I've always known life is not easy. People will go to work, they work hard, and they go home and they're tired. That I understood, always have. But what goes on in the workplace today versus 20 years ago, dramatically different. And any preacher who sits there full time in the desk with his foot up, I would probably question that. He he needs to get out and really understand. And so... Again, those preachers, they might know there's a problem. Uh, they understand, you know, it's a fallen world. But the mockery that the people of their congregations are actually going through, uh, some congregations never hear a sermon or have a Bible study on how to deal with everyday life. And that was something I always tried to do. And I know a lot of people who listen to the podcast have known me from my pulpit work and would say, oh, you did really well. And I would say, thank you, I really tried. Uh, but it's really, uh, it's very interesting how things have changed. Also, there's, you know, since I'm not doing full-time pulpit work anymore, I have. I've gone out and kind of checked out some of the other denominational-type uh, settings, and, and I have found it interesting. Some of these groups, all they talk about is the end times. They never talk about the death, burial, resurrection. Uh, they never talk about an Old Testament setting. Uh, their, or their favorite kick is always about baptism. Or we are saved because we enter a certain building. Uh, or we have the Holy Spirit and you don't because we speak in tongues or whatever. I mean, there's, there's several more I could probably come up with. I think you get the point. The one thing that we must all understand as we study kingdom characteristics is to follow Jesus. To know the entire word of God. Not just your favorite topic, not just your favorite verse, but the entire word of God. To become a complete Christian, to deeply try to understand who God is, what his plan for you and me, uh, all of that. You have to know the entire Word of God. And, and so, this is some of the reasons somebody asked me, can you do an overview of a book? And that's kind of why I'm doing that. And we need to empty ourselves of this worldly muck that we have allowed to come in. And the more you read and study your Bible, the more you're understanding you've allowed a lot of muck to come in. Okay, we may not even realize it at the time that we've dropped our our uh, our walls, our protections, or whatever. And that's probably because we're not in the Word of God. It's probably because we're not in our prayer life, and so on. And so, again, we must let Jesus fill us with His Word, His Spirit, His love, His grace, His Him. Period. And as you read through the the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, again, if you notice here, the, the verse I just read, verse 1, 5, verse 1, uh, Jesus, uh, his position when he, when he would teach is, he sat 
again, this was a custom of the Jews when they would read from the book of the law, they would stand, but when preaching or doing interpretation of those verses they read, the preacher, the rabbi, whatever you want to call them, would sit down. And as you read the Sermon on the Mount, you will find the disciples are at the feet of Jesus, right along with this large crowd of people. Being a disciple, in other words, a follower of Jesus, means commitment. This is not a pastime. This is not the cherry on an ice cream. It's not that add-on to your new vehicle with electric locks or windows, whatever. It is a commitment. It means giving up ourselves to follow Jesus. And I'm telling you, that is not easy to do. I understand that. It, it is something I have to work and pray and study every day. And I know you've heard me say that uh, over uh, other podcasts. If you're a regular listener, being a Christian is not a child's game. It does take courage. It takes grit. It takes sand. Uh, different parts of the world, different cultures would use different terms. Notice here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Here's the Apostle Paul. He warns us about this. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Thus the, the wealth and health gospel. And they will, verse 4, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Again, they're not going to listen to you more than likely when you say, well, if, the, if you're that blessed and you're saved, then why did the apostles lose their life? Why were they thrown in prison? Why were they beaten? You know, they're just not going to, they really don't know how to respond to that. So many people, honestly, they just want to hear sermons that make them feel good. And I like to feel good. Everybody wants to feel good. And so, again, in my little uh, movement around and trying to learn people and tell them about the podcasts and learn what they're really doing and what they're really teaching, one of the things I also notice about some of these preachers is they like to stay on a subject that they know they will not be challenged about. They want to stay in the comfort zone. They want to remain politically correct. And that's always got me in trouble because I'm not always politically correct. Uh, Jesus was not politically correct. Many of these people, they do not want to hear sermons on hell and damnation or sin or repentance. And so as you study the Sermon on the Mount, as well as all of Christ's teachings, Jesus teaches what is evil, what we should avoid, the good that we should live by, and you will find this in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, as a side note here, as you study the New Testament, it is a core fabric throughout the New Testament. I mean, James has lots of quotes from uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Again, here is Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, or correction, 
for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, we need to know the entire Bible. That is a lifelong process, to be honest about it, but it is that should not discourage you. That should be a challenge to get digging and start reading and start studying and learn some of the Greek terms and understand the history of what's going on when Jesus walked around the earth and why the Jewish people thought the way they thought. Uh, that will really help. As you continue to read Matthew chapter 6, you're going to find what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, in, in reality, though, the Lord's Prayer is really recorded for us in John chapter 17. Um, the Our Father, okay, that's what you want to call it. But this is a good model prayer. And even this prayer is in controversy today. Some people say it should not be prayed at all that it has no application for us at all today. It is a prayer of just this continued repetitiveness, and God doesn't want repetitive prayers. Uh, the odds are very high. Everybody prays about the same thing continually over and over again. Again, so, uh, again, it's about the heart. What is coming from the heart as you pray? As you pray, excuse me. Again, some other people would be the opposite with this. They would say, again, it's a good prayer to pray. I see no problem with praying uh, the Our Father. And so, the most popular verse in Matthew is going to be found in chapter 7, verse 1. Now, they can, everybody can quote it, but they don't know where to find it. And this is what it says. Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. Taken so many uh, times out of context. I don't know how many times I've heard this verse taken out of context. Uh, the fact is that we make judgments every day. I don't care who you are, you make a judgment. Uh, Jesus doesn't tell us uh, that we should not judge somebody. What he says is that we really need to do is judge righteously. And that's exactly what he says in John chapter 7 verse 24. If you're taking notes, uh, John 7 verse 24. Do not judge by the outward appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. It's so when you see somebody go down to the local grocery store and they pick up a 98-pound watermelon and they walk out the door without paying for it, and you say, oh, they just stole that watermelon. Now, did you make a judgment call? Yes, you did. Did you judge correctly? Yes, you did. Did you judge righteously? Yes, you did, because it's a sin to steal. Now, here comes the challenge. You walk up to that person and say, hey, you know what, you didn't pay for that. Why did you not pay for that stuff? And so they said, well, I haven't had a job. I'm hungry. My kids are hungry, whatever. Okay, well then as a Christian, I need to figure out how to help you feed your children. And if you're just doing it for kicks, uh, shame on you. You deserve to get in trouble with the law. Again, people are able to quote this uh, don't judge thing, but they don't know where it's at. And so, um, again, most people who use this out of context, I always wonder, are they trying to hide their sin or the sinful uh, lifestyle from people around them? When it comes to judging others, again, I, I, I agree, we must be careful how we judge, 
uh, judging others for the past sins that they have been forgiven for a long time ago and they obviously are no longer practicing those sins we need to stay away from now uh, you and I have no business going into the past especially when God has forgiven them of those sins I'm not saying there's not repercussions to sin because there could be and we need to be careful though that we do not force the person to be punished over and over and over again for something they have repented of that's the whole purpose of calling people into repentance we all have something in our past that we all want to leave in the past so let's focus on the here and now and what we're going to do tomorrow in order to glorify Christ notice how the Sermon on the Mount ends in Matthew chapter 7 verses 28-29 Matthew 7 28-29 says when Jesus had finished these words the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes again the crowd was just absolutely amazed you know they were just in this awe there is no doubt that the Sermon on the Mount has great applications for us as Christians to live by today we would be also amazed if we studied out this Sermon on the Mount uh, we would see that the great blessings in our walk in our life as a follower of Christ after the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew will begin recording miracles of Christ that he would perform. And he would go through doing this all the way through chapter 21. Matthew then turns to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, a lot of play, people call it Holy Week or it's Passion Week or... And, along with some prophecies in Matthew uh, chapter 24 Matthew focuses on those things and then by the time you get to chapter 26 we can read that the hate uh, for Jesus by the Jewish leaders how real it is I mean they taste blood they want him dead and they want him out of their lives no matter what it's going to take and they begin to plot how to kill him uh, they find Judas who has a plan to betray Jesus and then you have uh, the Passover that Jesus would celebrate the last one uh, before his death uh, the Lord's Supper would be instituted at this uh, Passover the three prayers uh, uh, Jesus in the garden along with the arrest of Jesus in the trial uh, before Caiaphas the three denials by Peter are all in chapter 26 then in chapter 27 uh, Judas realizes his sin uh, it comes to light he figures out hey well I've really messed up here and he does repent the problem is he repents with the wrong people he should have repented to God um, but he doesn't do that he goes to the Sanhedrin and they kind of mock him and laugh at him and basically said that's not our problem uh, and so he throws the money in the temple and, and goes out and hangs himself now 
then in chapter 27 also you have the trial uh, before Pilate and Jesus being mocked uh, the crucifixion as his burial as well and notice here how Matthew ends his gospel account it's with the resurrection of Jesus on the third day along with the Great Commission in Matthew 28 starting in verse 16 but the eleven disciples, see there's not twelve, uh, Judas is no longer in the picture. But the eleven disciples proceed to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus had come up to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Again, for those who don't think you need to be baptized, there is that command, go make disciples and baptize them. Okay, so that is important that uh, you understand that. I think it's important to know why you're being baptized and what's the purpose of it and that you're just not doing it to make somebody happy or make the elders or the preacher or whoever happy and to look it off your back about it. I think this is something that the Holy Spirit uh, moves people to is the, is the baptistry. And that's done through teaching the complete word of God. It is through teaching what baptism is, uh, what the gospel is. There's also something else that I've noticed that we miss when we start teaching about baptism. What do I do after I am baptized? And we miss that one horribly. Again, Matthew points out several things here. Again, uh, the disciples, they're still following Jesus. Uh, they're still wanting to hear what he has to say. Uh, I mean, if you read this again, uh, they worshipped him. And here again is Jesus, his claim. He has authority over everything and every place. Again, uh, that's a pretty powerful uh, being. That's a pretty powerful God. And then notice the last uh, thing, that this promise of Christ before he ascends into heaven with Matthew in his recording is that he will always be with his followers. And as a follower of Christ, you will have that promise too. Christ will always be with you for all eternity. And there's things that you and I on this side of the grave or this side of the second coming will not completely grasp until we get there. And that we will always be with Christ. I look forward to that day. I think it will be a wonderful day. And I want as many of you to be there with me that are listening. Our audience continues to grow in leaps and bounds. And the comments are so good and positive. We are so blessed and so honored that we have uh, this podcast going and please tell your friends about us, tell your family about us, hit that like button and follow us, check out our webpage. I know I've gone 
longer than I normally do and I appreciate you hanging in here with me to the end and so again thank you may God bless you and may he have the glory Thank you.